So, um, guys, um, this is Rock Bottom to Recovery uh, podcast. And uh, and if you're listening um, to the podcast, we are live. We stream live on Facebook. And, um, you know, uh, just trying to build that audience. We want to know what people think. We want to know if... um, if people like us, if we're, we're covering particular topics, um, we've, we want to try to recover as, um, cover um, as much information on recovery. Uh, we are looking to educate ourselves, educate, and bring awareness to the audience and stuff. So if you have some information that you think would help people in um, their recovery, uh, message us. Um, you can go to the Facebook page, Rock Bottom to Recovery. Um, you know, I mean, um, yeah. I think that's it, right? Yeah, I mean, and the other thing, too, is if people watch this in real time or if they watch it later on, I think it would be, I mean, they can always post questions to you right there. Oh, yeah, and that's true. We want, um, we actually want questions. We want to know um, what what they need. Yeah, what people want, what people think. Yeah. Um, if you agree with us, if you don't agree with us, but we want to do it respectfully and, uh, you know, share. Share the, um, share the live feed with anybody, anybody in recovery that you uh, know of. And so... Um, Today, our um, um, guest speaker, I'm just going to mention who the guest speaker is, and then we're going to bring him on, but I want to just run over some numbers real quick, because I want to let people uh, know exactly what we're facing in our country. Uh, But our our, um, guest speaker today is Jesse Heffernan, Um, and he's from the Voices uh, and uh, Faces and Voices in Recovery. and uh, of recovery and um, we're going to bring them on one second but I just really wanted to throw out these numbers I did a little research and I got these numbers from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention the CDC so I uh, just figured I'd kind of go back to 2014 um, that's right around the time that um, um, I, I know I'm off on my numbers but um, Holbrook Cares Coalition which I belong to uh, started and, uh, and so um, just in that very short amount of time um, in 2014, we lost 47,055 people uh, died from drug overdoses. Um, that that year was uh, a record year, and um, until 2015 came along, and then that became a record year. 52,404 people we lost overall um, to um, drug overdoses. Um, the uh, the latest numbers um, I pulled this off the um, the CDC. The latest numbers from the Center of Disease Control and Prevention shows that sixty four thousand people died from drug overdoses in twenty sixteen. So to kind of give you an idea, I mean that's a lot of people, but um, more Americans died of a drug overdose in twenty sixteen than died in the entirety of the Vietnam War, which totaled fifty eight thousand. That's crazy. One year, 64,000. So um, I also wanted to get some information from 2017. And this is provisional data, again, from the CDC. Um, and it's an estimate of more than 66,000 deaths for 2017. So we just keep growing and growing. And um, it's not good. And um, just to kind of give you an idea of what 66,000 people look like, Mike, tell them what the Gillette Stadium capacity is. Almost six, a little over sixty-six thousand. A little over sixty-six thousand. So in one year, we lost all those people sitting inside the Gillette Stadium. So just to kind of give you an idea, it's we're we're in serious trouble, which is why we're doing this podcast. We want to get the word out. We want to try to educate and uh, bring awareness. And so with that, I'm going to bring on our uh, guest speaker today. Um, Jesse Heffernan. Um, can we get him up on the screen? There he is. Look at that handsome. Look at that handsome bastard. Sorry. <laughs> That's how it is. Jesse, can you understand our uh, accent? Um, yeah, I've, I've got one of those translators in my ear. And I was... <laughs> That's good. I was just out on the East Coast last week. I was in, I was in Philly, and then I was in Jersey. And so I'm, I'm kind of getting, you know, used to it. So yeah. when you come, when are you gonna come to Boston? Uh, when are you inviting me? I think is the rest is the question. There you yeah. go. It's yeah, gonna be like happening. It. We'll get something going, I'm sure. So, um, Jesse, why don't you tell us a little about uh, a little bit about yourself, um, what you do, and how you got there, sir? Sure. So again, my name is Jesse Heffernan. I'm a person in long-term recovery, um, and actually coming up this Sunday. 
Um, you know, all things willing, not getting hit by a bus. Um, I'm doing what I got to do to take care of myself. I will celebrate 17 years in recovery um, from, from both substances and with mental health. And, and for me, that's just really given me kind of like this gift on life, right? Like this ability to be a part of the organization that I'm a part of. Um, it's given me the gift of a beautiful family. I've got, a, got an awesome wife and four amazing kids and you know we just uh there's just a lot of cool stuff that has come out of the gift of recovery and um you know so i, I guess i kind of wanted to start there like what that meant and and how you know kind of my recovery journey um has has really kind of connected with all of that so one thing i want to do first is like again like so my screen froze up i want to make sure you guys are still there no we're still here we're still listening okay. to you. We could see you're fine on our end. So, um, but Jesse, tell everybody where you're uh, skyping in from. So I'm in uh, I'm in blistering cold Appleton, Wisconsin. Um, give, where, us a, uh, give us give yeah. us the the degree. What's blistering cold? What are we at? Oh, I um, I don't know what it is today. It's I don't want to go outside today. That's what it is. <laughs> okay. So we like, just. It's it's not cold enough where like my kids can't walk home from school because I'm like whatever bundle up you yeah. got to learn that's good that um, character but I've avoided outside and and the thing is and, and for those of you anybody in the Midwest area you know the trick right like if it's sunny outside in the winter you know it's cold mm, it's it. just it's the trap it's, you don't want to do it and uh, so that's what it is I'm like oh it looks so nice out but no I'm not I'm not touching it I'm that's good so. Thank God we're doing this inside then. Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so. so tell us about yourself, Jesse. Sure. So, I mean, I, you know, Appleton was, was my area, um, the Midwest. Um, you know, I like to think that my recovery story has, you know, I'm a big comic book geek. And so I believe in origin stories. And so early on in life, you know, there were, there were trauma, there was trauma there, you know, um, and it was unaddressed trauma. And, and, you know, and in the eighties, like, you know, we, we didn't really have like the best systems of like asking kids kind of what they had going on in their life. It was, it was more like, why, why don't you act like this other kid in your class? You know, why aren't you doing what they're doing? And, um, and, and not a lot of the questioning was around like what happened to you that, that may have caused, you know, you to act this way. You know, we, we really didn't come up with that kind of language until recently. Right. And so really, you know, life was just mostly like a survival thing. And, and it's not to say like um, other people haven't experienced traumas. And, I'm, you know, uh, you know, I'll quote like ACEs test out there, like for anybody that's familiar with the ACEs test, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Survey. You know, we know that there's a correlation between childhood trauma and substance use and mental health issues and, and suicide. Right. Right. And so experiencing those things and then trying to figure out life and navigate that stuff. Um, eventually, you know, it led me to substances. And, and, and for me, like, you know, I, I would say like tobacco and nicotine was the first substance and then alcohol. And then and then the gates just kind of opened up and, and people ask me, like, well, what's your drug of choice? And, and my answer always was, what what do you got? You know, what what's in front of me? And, and really... I think what's more important than, than the substances themselves is that like it, it, it connected me with people. And so I remember, you know, in my neighborhood, there were kids that, that also had like severely traumatic experiences, you know, but what those things turned into was like, we all knew collectively, like we had like this woundedness going on and, and it may not have been like the healthiest thing in the world, but like we connected, we communicated, we created a community and, and it made sense for us. And, and I think that's what I was really looking for, you know, was, was that kind of community. And, um, and it just so happened that, that substances were a part of that, that, that we also were able to then, um, you know, really like kind of self-medicate and, and feel better, if you will. And uh, the thing that, you know, with substances and, and with trauma and with, you know, kind of, you know, genetic predisposition and whatnot, um, it was it was just something that got hijacked, you know, and, and it just turned into daily, you know, not just the substances, but the manipulation and the lies and a lot of the stories that we've heard. Right. Um, and I really believe that it, again, it was, 
it wasn't the substances that were my gateway. It was the people that were my gateway to different substances. Right. And, you know, eventually that, that landed me in, um, being incarcerated, um, in our, in our county jail here for, for nine months. And, you know, I wanted to turn state on some of my friends because, you know, my, my using career was more important than any of my friends or my relationships. And, um, I would have gladly sold out anybody to, to kind of stay out of trouble. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so even through jail, it was like another community. It was like, how do I learn from these people to be like the biggest, baddest drug dealer ever? You know, yeah. I'm going to be that guy when I get out and I'm going to repay back everything. And I'm really, it's going to be really cool. And, uh, and that didn't happen. You know, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> and I, ended up, I ended up going to treatment in, uh, in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And so, like, when I was in jail, I thought I, I could continue to, like, heal and use and, and be in jail. And they weren't big fans of that. I thought I could bring drugs up to the jail. They also weren't big fans of that either no. for some reason. No, they're not. <laughs> so You know, again, it was, like all, it was this series, it was this train of consequences that led me to treatment as opposed to going to prison. I had a choice kind of in like, hey, is it, you know, 35 years over your head or, or go to treatment? And um, even in treatment and being introduced to recovery support meetings, like, again, like a, it was just the environment. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily like talking about the power and potential of recovery. It was focusing on like, you know, well, here's cognitive intervention practices and, and here's red flag thoughts and here's the ripple effects of your behavior and, and your active addiction kind of a thing. And um, so that was the, the narrative and treatment. And, and I got it, you know, and I successfully completed my, my, my first treatment. Um, but I was even like the first month I was using in treatment, you know, I was going to I was going to recovery support groups. I was going to recovery support functions and 12 step and, and getting drunk on the weekends and bringing substances back to the treatment. Um, you know, so I was trying to really play both sides of it. You know, I got, I think that from my experience and what I've seen with others is like, there's still windows, right? There's still times where I'm like, this is incredibly messed up. Right. And, and, and I experienced some of those and, um, you know, they let me come back after, even after, after making some of those mistakes in treatment. And, um, eventually like it, it just came down to this moment of, of, um, there, there was, you know, I had detox and I was still kind of in post acute withdrawal and, um, I was listening to what people were saying at the recovery support meetings. And I'm like, this kind of makes sense. And, and I can connect with some of these people. It wasn't as horrible as I thought it was going to be. And, and then, you know, and then eventually like really committing my life to, to my recovery. Um, and I, and I've just had so many incredible experiences in, in recovery from, um, you know, early on starting out and, and getting actively involved with service, you know, like, like, you know, I, I had treatment in one city and then I came back to my hometown, um, and, and, and driving around, I could be like, this happened here and this happened here, right? Like I had, again, like community here. Like I understood what was going on on that level. And uh, I had to reconnect with a different community when I got back to Appleton. So did you, did you have to, Jesse, did you just kind of have to, um, well, obviously you had to stop hanging around with the people that you had hung around with before, correct? You know, like when you were um, actively using? Yeah, but... But here's the thing is like, so, so I got like this really cool gift of recovery, right? Like I was going to meetings and I was really excited and, you know, kind of the pink cloud thing going on. And, and I remember being in, and so I went from one treatment to kind of another one here in my hometown because I knew I still needed the structure and I needed the support systems of that. And, um, I remember being in, in treatment and I called up one of my old, one of my old friends and, uh, I said, Hey, like you guys got to come check out these meetings and, and this recovery thing. Like it's really cool. And, and they said, well, that, that sounds great. Um, but we're waiting for a bag. So you want to come and work, meet, hang out with us while we wait for that. And, and it was at that moment, I'm like, okay, there's clearly a conflict of interest here. <laughs> yeah, there is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, and, and kind of the worldview now is like, 
you know, I had all the people in the meetings telling me, like, don't hang out with people, your old using friends, right? Yeah. I had all the treatment counselors. Like, everybody says those things. But it, but it really took, like, me calling them and hearing that to get it, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that, to me, really speaks to letting people kind of have their experiences or, or even have that line of kind of questioning, right? You know, like, so you know, as a coach or a peer and, and we and, and we'll get into what all those things mean, but you know, how are we meeting people where they're at and not just kind of asserting that like this is the way, this is the only way and this is what's gonna work for you. Um I I again from my own experience know like you can tell me the the stove is hot five hundred times, but until I get there, you know, I'm not gonna really believe you in a lot of times, right? Yeah, and, and I like to think with with some time comes wisdom, but um, sometimes it's still the case. Well, you know, you did like I, I I like the fact that you mentioned to meet people where they're at, and um, I know you're a recovery coach, and we could jump into that in a, in a second um, um, because you know um, my recovery is a lot different than your recovery, and you know as a recovery coach, and I I took a couple of those courses here in this in Massachusetts. Um, when you say you're on the road to recovery, you're on the road to recovery. Um, you like you, you could still be using and everything. Um, I don't know if if it's you know if you agree with that, but the idea is um, um, there's all different roads to recovery. That's one of the reasons we have this uh, podcast is because my recovery is different than Mike's recovery, and different than your recovery. But we're all trying to get to that destination. Um, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, meeting people where they're at is always the best first option because right. I think once people start to, to clear up and, and things and they start to get into a good space, people become more open-minded to, to other things. But at first, it's really meeting someone where they're at in order to, to get to a place where they're in a good space, you right. know? And I think, Jesse, the fact that you went back home, you must have, obviously, you ran into the people that, you know, you were uh, running with uh, before you went to jail and everything. So to see where you are, it had to um, somewhat be an, an inspiration to them um, and and maybe let them know that, yeah, they can recover too. Did you find that? Did you? Um, <laughs> no, it was more like, um, because of, I think, what went down when I was still hanging out with them, that, that they were just more like, you know, I, I was I was mostly avoided. Um, the real connection that I had with, with anybody from, from that time in my life probably came about seven years ago where there was a, a mutual friend who had died by suicide. Um, and, and they called up again and they said, hey, you know, like Randall died and do you want to come and the funeral and, and we're all getting together to kind of talk about his life and I said well what does that look like and, and naturally like they were all drinking and and doing all these things and I said you know like I, I really just need to take care of myself and all of this you know Randall was awesome but but like I that's not really how I see you know celebrating someone's life um, died by suicide when there were substances and mental health issues involved and so and, and I like what you said, like everyone's pathway to recovery, like even if they're currently and actively using, right? Like um, I, I, I think that a, a large part of our culture and, and shifting the dynamic of all of this is saying things like that, is saying like, you know, everyone that, that's currently using, you know, is, is ultimately on some kind of pathway. And, and, you know, a big part of my recovery is, is, kind of unpacking the the shame and the crap and the roots of these stories of, of not being good enough. And, you know, and, and so I had to unpack a lot of the language, right, in recovery that, like, at the root of who I am is not an addict. It's not like this junky piece of crap, right? You right. know, it's, I think at the root of who we are is inherently good and has dignity and deserves respect and is trying to create a, a course in life that's that's healing and, and in recovery and and so you know my my experience with being a recovery coach was like you said meet people where they're at and and that can be so difficult to remove 
my agenda, myself, my expectations and intentions from someone else's life path. You know, and, and it'd be like you said, like I'll be able to say like, well, if you do this, you know, I can tell you what's going to happen right. just because I'm all knowing. <laughs> but just rather being able to meet someone and say like, what do you think is going to happen? You do this. Do you, you remember choose your own adventure books from school? No, but, but I get it. But I get, yeah, yeah. I get the yeah. basis. Yeah so, <laughs> yeah, so let's open that up for people. And, and so we've seen, you know, through faces and voices of recovery and, and, and expansion of these recovery community organizations and centers and peers, we've really seen like this new kind of shift into, into just connecting with people and connecting with communities where they're at. Right. Um, and I think that's been, I think that's, it's a huge part of, of what's going to help with those numbers that you rattled off in the beginning, right? Um, 64,000 dead last year from, from opioid-related overdoses. Isn't that crazy? It's... And, yeah, that's, that's it's a health epidemic, yeah. you know, by any proportions, right? And, um, and, I, and I know that there's a number of folks out there who are like, well... Well, the government needs to do more and they need to declare the health emergency and open up more funding and do all these things. And um, personally, what, what, what's been my practice lately in my recovery program, um, so like we just talked about meeting people where they're at, right? Right. And, and I'm, in this, I'm this advocate in recovery and you're going to meet me where I'm at and I'm going to tell you that you need to meet people where they're at. And, and then... So, so what does it look like to do that same thing with meeting politicians where they're at or meeting or meeting those people who I think we generally want to oppose ourselves to um, or, or say that we're in conflict with, you know, because they're human beings. They have a belief system. They have their own path in life. Mm -hmm. And and is it a double standard to not say like we, we don't meet them where they are? You know, um, do they not also deserve compassion, respect, and dignity? And what does that look like? You know, now sometimes uh, on the political front, it's not looking too good lately. Everybody seems to be uh, uh, all fired up, obviously, between the two political parties. I know you I, did. So, part of faces uh, and voices of recovery, right? I mean, you guys um, are politically. Um, involved correct that is correct can you can you tell us a little about that how's that work for you guys because i mean the legislation and in in the in the i mean this has actually been going on at least in massachusetts uh we had uh senator keenan on um and he's been a big voice of um recovery in our community um and <clears throat> a lot of times i think like I belong to a, a local coalition, the Holbrook Cares Coalition, and, and it can be frustrating um, because you don't feel like you're, you're making any progress or anything. But and, and one of the questions I had, I had uh, put to uh, Senator Keenan was like, you know, w what do we do? How do we stop this? And, and, he, and I mean, he made a good point. He's like, it's, it's, it starts right in the community. Kind of speaks to what you've said, meeting people where they're at in the community. Um, that's where it's going to start. And so it was kind of good to hear that because it kind of reinforced what we were doing to, to stay on point, to keep moving forward. Um, but, um, you know, so it does start in the community, but I think obviously we need that political backing. We need um, those guys. So go ahead and tell us about um, how that's working for you guys um, in Wisconsin. Well, yeah, my, my experience in Wisconsin, and so I sit with our um, OP, our governor's opioid task force, and you know, and, and I know I'm aware of a number of these task forces throughout the country, and then and of course we had the president's commission on on opiate abuse, um, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of uh, mixed reactions and mixed responses as to how to how to meet these things. Um, so faces and voices specifically was a large advocate for the Comprehensive Addiction Recovery Act, as well as the Cures $21 that came through. And, um, you know, and so that, that was really like, you know, asking the federal government to funnel more 
funding into communities and you know through states and through grants and whatnot and, and our state was a recipient of that I, um, you know it helped us start up a uh, an emergency room based uh, recovery coach program and and start looking at some other things and you know I, I go back and forth I'm like so how do we really assess this and, and how do we really advocate for you know, and, and this is that this is that spot. I think like there's like this, you know, meet people where they're at, including our politicians and everybody. And then there's this other spot where like we need more. We need to hold people accountable. And there's 23 million people in America that are in recovery, mm-hmm. and and we vote, and we have a voice. And I think that we're a, we're a largely mis uh, understood and and mis. Um, it's kind of missing the mark on uh, on us as a constituency, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so faces and voices for the last sixteen years has really been working on mobilizing all of that. And so when things like CARA happen and Cures Twenty One happen, we disseminate information into our ninety five uh, recovery community organizations that are part of our association. You know, and so we're connecting with Salt Lake City and we're connecting with Pennsylvania and New Jersey and everybody. And we say, hey, this is what we're doing in D.C. And this is like we need you to call your your legislators to advocate for these things, you know. And, and then we also work with those places if they need help from us, you know. So we're trying to get everybody kind of rowing their boat in the same direction. Right. right. Uh, have the same message, be able to talk about about the same hope and inspiration that recovery brings. And then here's the data behind it. Here's the benefits of investing in recovery for the long term. Uh, and, and that's something that we continue to do and will do as an organization. You know, there's there's far more opportunities, um, I think, coming up in the next couple of years. And uh, we want to shift the conversation. You know, we want to say, you know, treatment is an event, you know, but recovery is a lifetime process. Right. And, and we need to, it's great to say those things and it sounds magical and it makes a great meme on Facebook, right? But it's another thing to get, you know, our legislators from the, from the state level to fund and invest in that um, in the long term if we're going to make a change in all this. But a change can happen, correct? It Especially- can, and, it, and I think it is, you yeah. know? I think it is, too. What do you think, Mike? I don't think things like this would be going on if it wasn't changing. That's true. You know? Um, That's true. One question I have for you is, um, you know, doing what you do, what do you see as, I mean, not one in particular, but what are, like, one or two things that you see as a really a roadblock to, to what's going on? Like, to try to, to try to get the words out there and to try to be a, a face and a voice and to try to really implement, you know, recovery into the the general population. I think there, there's kind of, there's, that's a really big question. There's a lot of facets to, to what we've experienced as a recovery community. Um, there, there's a lot of systematic, systematic levels to all of this. And so we have, I think, kind of big picture first and what was addressed in the, in the documentary, The Anonymous People, was that our movement was birthed in basements trying to hide from the rest of the world, right? Like we, like anonymity became kind of like this, this protective force field, which was really necessary in the 30s and the 50s and the 80s. Um, but it, in, in a sense, it shot us in our foot, right? Like it, it also said then, like, well, we don't, you know, there was already kind of this general mistrust of people in recovery, alcoholics and addicts. And, and so there was a almost like perpetuating that with this with this idea of anonymity, which we also needed too. So, so I think learning to undo um, some of the parts of anonymity that that no longer serve us is part of it. And like like I said, the anonymous people was a great step in that direction. The documentary that that came out in 2013 um, has really helped, and that they're still showing that everywhere. Um, so I, I think that's part of it. What's that documentary, Jesse? The Anonymous People. Oh, The Anonymous People. Okay, yep. It's a really good and, point, though. And that was, you know, under under Faces and Voices umbrella. And, um, you know, so we've really been, again, like the whole idea of Faces and Voices of Recovery in 2001 was bringing together the recovery community to say, like, we can't do that anymore. 
we, we have to go out there and advocate for ourselves and we have to stand up for our rights and, you know, we have to get our faces out there, not as the faces of recovery, but as one of millions. Right. And, and that's the difference. You know, we're, we're able to say, I am a face of recovery. I'm not the face of recovery. Mm. No, that's a really good point. I think that's a good point that that even can stem from the smallest of of coalitions or whatever you may have is is the fact that the reason the stigma exists is because I mean it was created within. Um, it's almost like you create a stigma when you when you want to remain anonymous and uh, moving away from the anonymous part to would also help remove the stigma in a sense. Um, and I think that's a great point to the big picture of things, you know. And there's there's been there's there's other ang- other pieces of this too. When you think about like, you know, uh, prison systems and institutional racism and uh, you know, socioeconomic problems, um, you know, this diverse and mi- marginalized communities, you know, there, there's just so many pieces packed into why substance use continues to pervade in our country at the level that it does, you know, to overprescribing to, to all these things. Right. And, and to say it's like a simple answer would be, you know, uh, completely disingenuous to the folks who have experienced these things. And, and so I think it, from our platform, you know, we have being fully aware of like our privilege and our platform and, and the awareness of those things and being able to say like, okay, so now that we have this national platform, how do we step back and let those folks who experience these other places in life and, and give them a voice, right? Like, and give them the shot at coming out here and talking. And, you know, I think that's what the big part is, is, is just saying like, you know, I don't have all the answers. Um, I don't know what it's like to live in Boston or in inner city Milwaukee, but people that do that are in recovery um, need to get their voices out there and we need to let them speak about their experience. Absolutely. I think um, one of the um, uh, reasons for this uh, podcast is to, is to have people come on and and talk about their recovery and um, you know, like you mentioned it earlier in the in the um, the uh, podcast about uh, dignity and value and everything, and I think when people are actively using, it's easy to feel uh, worthless. I know it is, um, and feel not have any value or anything along those lines. And then the, the the things that you do, which we've discussed in other podcasts, to to feed that addiction, um, you know, can just make you feel even worse. Um, but I think that's why it's so important to have people like Mike, myself, you, and all the other people we're going to be having on the podcast to come in and talk about, um, you know, what it was like before and how it is after that you can um, give back and you can have a, um, an impact in your life. Like um, there's a, an expression, bloom where you planted. And, um, you know, I think... Um, you know, that's what we're trying to do here. And it's good to see that, like you, Jesse, and um, you guys, the faces and uh, voices of recovery, reaching out to the other states and beginning to have that impact uh, because it's huge. And, and people, I, I mean, <clears throat> what would you tell to, to somebody, Jesse, right now? I mean, you're a recovery coach. What can you tell them that might be using right now? Well, family members, um, any words of hope? Um, that you could give them, um, you know, like could maybe hang on or, or anything. What do you, what do you have? I, I, uh, I had a friend, um, her name was, uh, Amy Blewell and she started up the project semicolon movement. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen like people with semicolon tattoos. It means like your story's not over yet. And, um, you know, she unfortunately also uh, died by suicide this last April, but she had this tattoo on her forearm and uh, it was a, it was a thing her dad told her, it said love endlessly. And, um, you know, I, again, like in my own practice and just thinking about what these concepts mean beyond that of just nice words, but what is, what does it mean to love endlessly? What does it mean to be relentlessly compassionate? Um, 
what does it really mean to meet people where they're at? And, and these are these are things that I think are invitations for us in the recovery community and for families. You know, I when I was a recovery coach, um, I worked with this mom whose uh, who's, uh, child died by an overdose. And she said, you know, I'm glad that I listened to my gut and my heart as to how to work with my child. You know, people were telling me don't enable her and, you know, like you got to do tough love and you got to do all this stuff. And, and she said, I, I think if I would have listened to them, I would I would have I would have had a lot more regret when she died. Mm-hmm. And, and again, like I'm not here to tell anyone their path or, or, or what, you know, what's right for their family. When I see people and when I talk to people or, you know, the people in my life, you know, I I just try to really tell them like how valuable they are and how needed they are Mm -hmm. and, and that they're worth, they're worth every phone call. They're worth every difficult night. You know, they're, they're worth all of those things and more. Right. And and I'm I'm loving seeing some of these programs come up, these lead programs and in other places where. It doesn't matter how many times you come to our door, we open it up. Right. And we tell you we're going to get you help. And, and with families, the same thing, you know, partnership for drug-free kids and the hotlines they got and some of the programs they got going on, the recovery centers that were, that were supporting throughout the country. Um, you know, it, it's been my experience that as a person in recovery, getting on this road, it was like this series of no's, right? Like, no, you don't have the right insurance. No, you know, we don't have room right now. No, this, no, that, no, you're not worth it. And, and what Faces and Voices is doing and the organization that we work with is trying to build this world of yes. And it, and it sounds cheesy, and it is, but, you know, let's, let's build a world. Yes, you are worth it. You are valuable. Yes, we have space for you. Yes, your pathway matters. You know, you can be on, you know, medicated supported recovery you could be uh, a 12 stepper you could be refuge recovery you know you could just be someone who who's not even ready for that specific pathway but we're going to meet you where you're at and and that to me is like we we have a huge cultural shift uh to make in our country towards that level of of um, compassion and, and trying to love people and meet them where they're at yeah and you know i mean i'm sure you hear it over where you are, I mean, we, um, I listen to people say, um, you know, a person should only get one shot of Narcan, and that's it, you know, um, we'll let them die, or things like that, um, so, I think, I try to look at things, my, like, every opportunity to, to educate, and kind of widen the view of people, and say, look at these are family members, these are friends, these I mean, these people are loved, if you know, and so <clears throat> I think um, the more the the more that uh, we bring those positive ripples, um, the more they ripple out and everything. So I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Do you have anything, Mike? Yeah, I, I just. I don't know. I, I think the whole thing correlates. It all comes back together. I just think it's a really good... It's just being being there, being there for people, um, you know, especially the people who are in, in, in recovery, regardless of what they call recovery, is is uh, meeting people where they're at, like you said. And a lot of the times it's hard for people to do that because of the old way of things or the way that they learned or whatever it's you've got to do it this way you got to do it that way or else we're not in the same space and breaking that chain and just you know getting to someone where they are happy and healthy and, and whatever their form of happy and healthy is is you know being there for people um from a coalition up into a national level you know presence is is where everybody meets together you know right it is frustrating. It can be frustrating. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, you're trying to help someone, and they just keep going back and back and back. But I think that's good that we, we have, you know, each other um, to check ourselves. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, you know? Right. So we can, we can speak our frustrations. You've experienced that, right, Jesse? What's that? The frustration of trying to help oh. somebody. Yeah, and, and I think – and so, you know – let's not kid ourselves. I mean, there's, there's, there are levels of, of drama and compassion fatigue and, and frustration 
um, involved with all of this, right? We, we choose to be advocates. We choose to help people on any degree. We're going to experience this stuff. And, you know, I don't think it's so much selfish as it is self-compassion to be able to still have boundaries, to be able to like, like, you know, working with families and they said, well, I still want to support my kid. I'm like, okay, well, what does that look like? You know, it's not about cutting people off. It's about understanding exactly where these decisions might take you or might take them. And, and for myself, you know, even in the last couple of days, like trying to check in on a friend across the country and not knowing what's going on with him and feeling myself wanting to like, you know, that hook into like, oh, I need to know what's going on and I need to help him kind of a thing. Um, but, but also trusting that there's really amazing programs and services out there. Um, so even, you know, in your neck of the woods, you know, you have the Massachusetts Organization for Addiction Recovery or more. They're on uh, Winter Street in Boston there. And they're definitely doing amazing stuff. You know, they're, they're connecting the community. They're providing peer services. They're looking at policy. They're, they're doing incredible things. And so I think as a, as a person in recovery, it's, it's having this uh, community awareness. You know, I don't have to be the one. I can, I can bring them to coaches and peers and professionals in the recovery space, you know, and I don't have to burn myself out doing all these things. You know, I'm not gonna be any good to anyone if I'm if I'm just you know not taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so I, I definitely invite anyone listening to this in in the Boston area, please check out, please check out more, please check out their their services and their website and get connected with them. See what they got going on. And Jesse, how can uh, if people had a question for you uh, uh, or message or something that they'd like to send you, how could they go about doing that? So you can uh, you can email me. Um, we can we can put that in the comments uh, on the live feed or on your page. Yep. Um, I think that would be a really great way to get a hold of me. And um, then they can. You have a Facebook page, Faces uh, um, yes. Recovery um, uh, Voices uh, of Recovery that people can go and check out too. Correct. Definitely. Yep. We got that as well. And uh, check out our website. You can see where all the recovery community organizations are that we work with. You can learn about, um, you know, we, we accredit organizations with peer services. And so, like, again, like, we're just kind of like the, the kind of 50,000-foot level on all of this, right? Yep. With the ability to dive in. So last week when I was in New Jersey, um, Atlantic City was one of four sites selected by SAMHSA to do what we call um, a building strength through mentorship program. So we brought in um, – for New Hampshire, a couple people from their staff to mentor an up-and-coming recovery community organization. And so if anybody in their community has said, like, well, we want an RCO, you know, call that's my job. Call me. Yeah. We right. can see what we can do. We, we, we want to build more of these mentorship programs. Again, like, for us, the solution is community. Right. The solution is connection, Right. Um, give it five years, it's going to be a different substance, it's going to be a different thing going on, but, you know, Faces and Voices of Recovery has weathered and been through, you know, these these coming and goings of drug trends and stuff like that, and we continue to advocate for the strength of people like yourselves who are in recovery that are doing innovative things like this, like podcasts and recovery community organizations. Like, we don't need 500 advocates in the world. We need 5 million advocates in the world. Right. And how can we help build those with you, with everybody? Mm, beautiful. Excellent. Thank you, Jesse. Uh, we're going to be wrapping this up. So uh, give us something for 2018. What do you want to see happen in 2018 from, from, your, from what you're doing and where you're at? What do I want to see in 2018? Yeah, what would you like to see? I want to see, a, I want to see recovery community organizations in our association in all 50 states. I want to see um, upward of uh, two to five billion dollars allocated specifically for those recovery community organizations um, from the government and from our state, because we know we know we right we know what to do. We know what works. We know what works in our communities. Right. And and I believe that we are in a position where where we can work with that money and steward it uh, financially responsibly and. Um, and, and that's what I think it's going to take is, 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 uh, is getting those connections. So, um, and we're going to continue to work and fight for the recovery community organization. That's where we are. We're, we're focusing on solutions, not just facing problems. 
Awesome. Beautiful. Thank you, Jesse. We really appreciate you coming on and taking the time out of your schedule to sit in and Skype with us and uh, be on the podcast. And, um, you know, if, he, if you guys are listening, this is uh, uh, Jesse Heffernan, and he's from the Faces and Voices of Recovery. And uh, so go and check him out. Um, check out what he's doing. And I'll be in touch, Jesse, so we can somehow begin to work with you guys ourselves here in Boston. And, yeah, uh, you know, more, definitely. Like, yeah. Like you got going on and again like this is what we do connect people you know um you connect with them and get connected with more people and and this is awesome this is really cool thanks so much for having me all right jesse thanks for coming on appreciate it take care have a good day take care all right sir um so guys that was uh jesse heffernan and um you know uh we're gonna wrap up this uh second podcast i'm gonna give a couple of um uh, let's see, just uh, some general information. Oh, actually, what I do wanted to put out there was um, in the Herald yesterday, uh, Governor Baker passed, um, um, well, um, he filed a new bill called the CARE Act. Mm. And um, the idea behind the CARE Act is that um, it's allowing um, medical professionals, if they find somebody that is uh, really... Um, having a, a, a very difficult time with the substance abuse um, is that is kind of holding them over uh, for if uh, 72 hours. So it's literally 72 hours of forced treatment. And I know this has been a discussion like, you know, I, I've heard many people say like uh, people walk right into the emergency room, you know, whatever, and then they walk right out. Yep. And a lot of families are like, you know, they know the end result of that. And so Governor Baker... Um, put this together called again the care act and um it's uh it's actually to i think it was yesterday it was going in front of the committee on mental health substance use and recovery they were going to hold a hearing on it but it was interesting because the aclu of massachusetts is against this um they don't believe you should be forced to go to recovery so my question to people listening is what do you guys think do you think this is a good thing? Is the CARE Act a good thing? If somebody is take, uh, ODs and ends up in the emergency room, that they could be held for 72 hours. Um, and it's not like, uh, it's not a jail thing. It's, uh, it's more of um, getting the help that they need. And so uh, I get the idea behind the ACLU uh, stepping up to it. Um, you know, you, you can't force people. As a matter of fact, I think one of the things that... Well, the case that they were making is they said that the state's own data shows that more people will, are more likely to die, um, not less, if they are forced into treatment, if they're forced. And I, you, obviously, you know, I think we just talked about this. I mean, yeah. you have to meet people where they're at in yeah. recovery. But at the same time, I mean, people are ODing. Yeah, and, and, the, th- and the thing, the other part like to that is, so when someone's in in care yeah. for 72 hours. You I mean you have to realize when people come in at that point they don't know what what's right, what's left, right. Or what's up and what's down. So for them to make that decision um isn't really them making that decision. Um yeah. it's someone trying to advocate for what's best for them because regardless of what anybody thinks to not be out on the streets and using substances is best for anybody in well, my opinion. Well, how many times do people I mean, um they OD and then um, they get Narcan brings them back, and they realize now that they have to hold on to them a little bit longer because they go right back into an OD. Right. I mean, and and so I I don't know I I I personally think it's not a bad thing to hold them for seventy two hours. Um, that's just me personally, but I would be more interested in um, our audience and the family members that you know you live this every single day um what you think is this a good thing um should they be able to be held for 72 hours um and uh, it's i think it says um the legislation will allow clinical personnel in emergency rooms to order a high-risk user to be involuntary transported to a treatment facility for up to 72 hours in the hopes of and i read this in the paper in the hopes of promoting long-term yes. treatment, long-term recovery, long-term options, right? Um, and having, uh, you know, an understanding in a, in a them, you know, obviously they would work it out to where you you don't you have options to go right. longer, you know, and right. and some people at 
they don't know they have options. You know, right. sometimes they only think that they can go to X, Y, or Z, and they don't know that, you know, A, B, and C, you know, are there. Right. So it's more on the educational side as well, you know. Right. So um, let us know, guys, what you think um, about that. Um, the, it was in yesterday's Herald, but, I mean, you can Google it, um, the CARE Act, Governor Baker. Um, read it and let us know what you think. I mean, we're losing as many as five people a day in the Bay State um, to the opioid um, crisis. And so, um, you know, we'd like to get your feedback. Also, too, um, if you guys know of anybody that you think would be a great guest speaker to come on, um, give us some information. Message us. Um, go to our Rock Bottom to Recovery Facebook page. Go to Michael Sullivan's page. Message him. Uh, let us know. If you if you know someone that you say, like, wow, he, they would be great. They have a great story, something to share that could certainly help somebody in their recovery, uh, we would like to speak to them. Um, so we're running uh, the Rock Bottom to Recovery every other Wednesday at the moment. So not, not next Wednesday, but the Wednesday after, we're going to have um, entertainer and comedian uh, Michael Pettit. He's been in the business for over 30 years. He's an impressionist. He's just He's amazing. Um, he's sober and he's clean and he's going to come in and he's going to um, tell us about, you know, what it was like before and after. Uh, I mean, being in, the, in that industry, um, you know, work hard, play hard, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so you're, you're right there. You're in the bars. You're performing. Afterwards, you're drinking, hanging out and everything. So, guys, give us some feedback. Um, like our Rock Bottom to Recovery page. Follow us. Let people know. Um, anything, Mike? Questions, questions, questions. It's always good to be educated, yeah. no matter what the questions are. Absolutely, and that's why we're here. So uh, last thing I'll let you guys know. So the Hobart Cares Coalition, uh, where's all my paperwork? Oh, here we go. I got it right here on the top. The Rock Bottom to Recovery General Information. It's the information we want to put out every time we do this podcast is the Holbrook Cares Coalition right here in Holbrook, Mass. Uh, discussing what we can do about the drug ep epidemic in the area. And they meet the first Tuesday of every month at the Holbrook Town Hall at 7 p.m. All are welcome. We want you guys to come out. Um, and then on the um, second Monday of every month up at the Brookville Baptist Church downstairs in the hall, we have the Avon Holbrook um, Hope Drop-In Center. Um, and that is another opportunity to connect yourself into resources. Um, we've done some NACAN training, um, but there is um, um, resources on substance abuse addiction treatment and, um, you know, part of the supporting the local communities. And that's the second Monday of every month. And um, I guess that's it, Mike. Hey, That's thanks it. for coming in. Yeah. I mean, check out. I like the scally, bro. Yeah, scally, you know. Yeah. Have you ever seen a scally cap like this? Uh, no, not with the glasses on it. No, not no, with the glasses no. on. I take <laughs> no. it off and you get some color in there. So nice. not bad. But uh, if you listen to the podcast, we are Facebook Live. You can go on to the Rock Bottom to Recovery podcast Facebook page and check out all our past podcast and um visit faces and voices of recovery they do a yes. lot of good stuff uh, visit them and and see what they're all about and begin to spread the word and uh, any questions um any issues any concerns message us send us a message and we'll get back to you as soon as we can thank you so much for tuning in we appreciate it um guys be safe we look forward to seeing you again in uh, two weeks and that's it take Enjoy care bye